Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Hotline. If you are obsessive-compulsive, press 1 repeatedly. If you are codependent, ask someone to press 2 for you. If you have multiple personalities, press 3, 4, 5, and 6. If you are paranoid, we know what you are and what you want. Stay on the line and we'll trace your call. If you're delusional, press 7 and your call will be transferred to the mothership. If you are schizophrenic, listen carefully and a small voice will tell you which number to press. If you are depressive, it doesn't matter which number you press, no one will answer you. If you are dyslexic, press 69696969. If you have a nervous disorder, please fidget with the hash key until the beep. After the beep, please wait for the beep. If you have a short-term memory loss, please try your call again later. And if you have low self-esteem, hang up. All our operators are too busy to talk to you. Once again, to the uh, well, welcome to the, from the, for the first time, really, right? Uh, to the premiere episode of Shadows in the Cave, the podcast. Um, I had uh, I originally had this idea about like six months ago, and I had even done a a survey on my Instagram um, to see kind of what co- what, what was going to be the first topic that was covered. And depression one, I actually had gotten two. I got in. Probably the most common ones that people um, seek help for uh, in today's day and age in this very post-COVID environment that we live in, um, which is anxiety and depression. And interestingly, depression won out. I thought anxiety was going to win because anxiety is the most common one. And we have little bits and pieces of anxiety throughout our lives that are completely normal. And I'll get to that on the next show, but depression won out. So today we're going to talk a little bit about depression. That's our first official subject here on Shadows in the Cave. And originally, back in March, when I thought about this podcast, I wanted to have a lot of like uh, in-house guests, right? But obviously, COVID happened. Everybody went in a, in the quote-unquote cave, and just now people are starting to peek back out. Um, I guess, you know, people want to know why I called it Shadows in the Cave. Um, there's a, there's a, that famous Plato's allegory of the cave where Socrates is describing a group of people who have lived chained up in a, in, on a wall in a cave. They're inside a cave, right? And they're, they're facing like a blank wall, and they're watching shadows projected on the wall from like objects passing in front of them 
of, of a fire behind them and, and they give names to these shadows. So in essence, for the people that are in the cave, those, those, those shadows that are, that are reflected by the fire, that becomes their perception of the world. And the shadows represent this false vision of the truth and an illusion of reality. And that's a lot of what this show is about. This show is about perception and this idea of how the expectations that we have kind of create this mental imbalance, which uh, eventually turn to, you know, mental health issues. And this is pretty much a human development uh, program where I will have guests later on once the world normalizes a little bit, whenever, whenever the fuck that is. And we'll get more into it um, at a deeper level later on with, with people smarter than I am. I mean, shit, there's, there's some very, very intelligent, you know, people that are critics of behavior and understand society and culture a whole heck of a lot. And so we'll get to talking to them um, and we'll talk about mental health issues. But uh, for now, I just wanted to get this show off the road because I had it was in my mind for a long time. And so now I just wanted to get it out there and start getting little little episodes out there by myself into things normalized. And then we'll bring in some people uh, and we'll talk shop a little bit. So I guess a little bit about myself. Um, I am I'm certified in do diagnostic counseling. Um, I'm, I have certification in addiction specialist. I have a BA in psychology, master's in therapeutic counseling with a specialty on marriage family therapy. Um, I've done a lot of uh, labs at universities around Los Angeles, dealing with everything from AIDS to relationships, body-mind dynamics, neighborhood effects, culture, collectives and individualistic, uh, family systems and group psychology, amongst other things. So pretty much, uh, you know, I have an idea of behavior and how our how we internally process that behavior and push it forward, um, how societal norms affects how we act as as individuals. Um, so all that stuff is something that I have some experience with. Um, I have some clinical experience already, which is I'm currently doing now, and I've done research, um, tons of research, and I and I've uh, I've had the opportunity to talk um, at around uh, a couple universities around Los Angeles, which has been pretty cool. Um, and so, yeah, I have, I have, um, I have a good, uh, some good knowledge as far as what all this entails and just being able to, um, uh, help out with, with people uh, and their, uh, development has been something that I really enjoyed doing over the last, like, I don't know, like seven or eight years. And one of the things about this show that I want to make very evident is that this is not going to be an quote-unquote, academics-heavy show, because that's one of the things that I, I've, I've had a problem with over the last, you know, 10, 15 years that I've been in academia, is this, like, higher-than-mighty fucking, you know, my-shit-don't-sting kind of people that, that are in that world, right? I mean, I've had a lot of issues with them, because that's not the world that I come from. I mean, I could keep up with them and all the research. I could, I could, I could talk their lingo, but that's not what I'm about. And I think a lot of the times, um, you know bringing that language down to the to the to the regular common folk which is you guys which is me um could be a little challenging right because these people they end up uh talking that academia language and it could be very confusing and so i have a very loose style i've done other podcasts because i have other interests that i'll probably get into later on in other episodes but not here yet and so i'm used to having this very fluid way of talking like right now i have no notes it's just me and you having a conversation and 
whatever comes out comes out if i get a little potty then i get a little potty um so uh that's just the way it is and then and you know they, this show is going to be based on scientific research this show the theories that i talk about are, are all you know they've been peer reviewed and so but the language itself will be relatively simple um i'll explain all the terminology because sometimes unfortunately to explain something i, I do have to use some of these academic words but this is a very free-flowing podcast, and, you know, I have no notes. I have my little diet peach tea right here next to me, and we're going to have a good time talking about uh, mental health, human behavior, and just professional and spiritual development. So um, all that is going to be uh, talked about. All right, so let's go, let's go ahead and get started with depression. Depression has been becoming more and more prevalent in our society, Um over the last 10 years, there's a lot of reasons why, I mean, and we'll get into them uh, more specifically in later episodes. Right now, I just want to talk about depression in broad terms, just to kind of introduce the subject matter. Uh, and then later on, we'll go more into detail on specific things. But, you know, there, there we have a lot of negative stimuli around us. And again, going back to what I'll, I'll be talking about later on, we also have a lot of social pressures and a lot of internal interpretation that we're dealing with constantly. Every day we get bombarded with new information. So in that sense, depression is on the rise. And I think as the world gets smaller through social media, depression is going to become more and more of an issue. And we'll talk about that at another time. But right now, it's it's very important that we kind of talk about the different kinds of depression because as human beings, we have to have these default settings. Now, it's okay to be depressed. Like it's okay to um, have bad days. It's okay to like feel sad sometimes. And even then, like depression, people. A lot of people think that depression is sadness. And for the people that have been depressed in the past, they know damn well that's not what it is. I mean, it's part of it. You know, there is a lot of sadness when it's depressed, but it's also a lot of of like helplessness and hopelessness. Worth like you feel worthless. Uh, there's a lot of insomnia involved. There's a lot of ruminating in your head. There's a lot of anxiety involved. So it so it's this like like this mixture of a lot of negative emotions and that that really just drain the body and and it just leaves it without energy. And a lot of people are bedridden when they when they have uh, severe clinical depression. So the definition is not as simplistic as some people make it out to seem. I know there's a lot of people that are somewhat ignorant. And remember, folks, the term ignorant is not a bad thing. I am ignorant in a lot of things, um, as, is, as is everyone else. It just means that we're not uh, aware of something or educated on something yet. But I think a lot of people are ignorant to the fact that uh, depression is not just sadness. And I think a lot of people some, sometimes criticize um, people that are going through depression because they can't see the illness. They can't see the pain, right? When, we're, when we have a broken arm, we could see... That we have a broken arm, arm, and we could see that that we have difficulty using it, and thus there's compassion that builds around people uh, around us because of that broken arm. When we have a cold, when we have a flu or whatever, we could see that, and thus we empathize with the person that's going through that. Um, when we have depression, because first of all, depression is the opposite of everything this country tells us to be, right? Which is very active and accumulating skill. And, you know, just 
trying to bring uh, meaning to your day. And when you see somebody better in and, and you can't see what's wrong with them, it, it's almost our first instinct to call them lazy, right? Or, or to say that they're faking it, quote unquote, or to say that they just can't get over it. And that's incredibly unfair because it, there's a lot going on with that person. And it's beyond being sad, all right? So that's first and foremost. We should empathize with the people that are going through depression, and we should sit with them. I mean, even if we don't have the answers for them, the idea here is that we're going to sit with them. Um, so so that, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the different kinds of depression, because we have two kinds. We have situational depression, and we have clinical depression. And before I get too far into this, I do want to say that Borderline personality disorder is not going to get covered on this episode, so that's not what we're talking about. And also, this is a conversation between us, all right? Please, anything that I say, still see your your your, your medical doctor, still see still uh, get get uh, opinions from your therapist. Um, this is this is in no way, shape, or form should uh, override any diagnosis that any of you guys might think you guys have. Um, but yeah, so borderline personality disorder won't be covered in this episode because that's a whole other topic. But they also Obviously, they go through some severe depression, depressive episodes. Um, this is uh, situational and clinical depression. Um, so situational depression is mostly an adjustment disorder with depressed mood. And clinical depression is a major depressive disorder. Um, and they both, they both are horrible and they both um, are very debilitating to, our, to ourselves, right? Um, but... Sometimes there is a difference between one and the other, um, you know, but both of them can, can definitely bring significant challenges and threats to our well-being. Um, so situational depression is, is a short-term form of depression that occurs as, as a result of something. Now, a lot of times uh, post-traumatic stress disorder could bring on situational depression, but that's a whole other diagnosis that we're not going to get into here. We're just talking about situational depression with um, ruling out any other diagnosis. So triggers can include like if you get divorced, you lose your job, you know, you, you experience a death of someone close to you, you're in a serious car accident, you know, or other major life changes that, that require um, habitual change. Um, so, so and, and that's where the depression comes in because there's a struggle uh, with the dramatic life changes. And you could only recover from that kind of depression once you come to terms with your new situation. And a lot of times that happens organically. I mean, we've all been in situations where something negative impacts us and we just kind of write it out. We, we have those gloomy days, like maybe like, like, like a couple of days, a week even. But we start to come to terms with our new situation and we start moving forward little by little, one step at a time. Um, but, but, uh. It's still, it's still, when you're in that bubble, it's still very difficult because in that time, you know, you could cry frequently, you know, you could have anxiety and worry, you can't concentrate, you know, you, you have like uh, feelings of hopelessness and sadness and all kinds of uh, negative effects of the, of the depression, including the most dangerous one, which is suicidal thoughts, which we'll get to a little later on. Um, clinical depression is a whole different thing. Um, and this one is a little more severe because this one will interfere in your daily function for years, you know, months and years. Um, and this one, it's, 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 it's actually shown that it's due to disturbances uh, 
in certain chemicals that are known as neurotransmitters, um, although not all the time, but the majority of the time. And, you know, these, these, this is more of a genetic thing. You know, uh, major depressive disorder is uh, it's a genetic disorder, as, um, but, it, but it, major life events can also trigger it. And, you know, um, so when you're going through these issues, when you're going through both of these forms of depression, you got to be careful because at that point, you got to build coping mechanisms to deal with how you feel. And a lot of times, alcohol and drug dependence kind of gets gets uh, used as a as a negative coping mechanism for depression. Um, and you know, our thought process gets completely out of whack during this time. So um, that's something that we got to look out for. And and for like for situational depression, um, you know, I think psychotherapy is very useful. I think. Um, Allowing you to come to terms, allowing the individual to come to terms with their situation helps a lot. I'm validating their pain helps a lot. You know, empathizing with their pain and giving them some some uh, some good interventions to use as they move forward in their daily life is something that has been proven to be very successful when it comes to situational depression. Because the idea with situational depression is that it's 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 a cognitive interpretation that's leading to the distress it, it, it's um in other words the story is in your head and there's a lot of emotional attachment to that sadness or that hopelessness or that lack of energy that you might feel and a lot of times it's negative right because a lot of times there's shame involved there's guilt involved uh there's regret involved so these are these are all emotional stimulations that are affecting how we feel and through psychotherapy and through interventions that psychotherapy presents, um, it's possible to get over that, you know, relatively fast. If you're in, a, if you're in a otherwise healthy state of mind before the incident that got you situationally depressed happened, so um, so that's something that I would recommend. And and you know, later on we're going to talk a lot, a little bit about some interventions uh, that have that have helped other people along the way when it comes to situational depression. Now, major depressive disorder, which is a chemical depression, um, like I talked earlier, that's a little different because that, that has to do with our neurotransmitters, um, that, has, that, that has to do with serotonin levels, that has to do with dopamine levels. So at that point, uh, a lot of times uh, we need medication. You know, we need stuff like the uh, SRI, um, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, to allow us to function. Now, there's a lot of different schools of thought when it comes to medication um, for for um, depression. Um, doing 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 clinical work like I've been doing over the last year or so, I've become a little more accepting of it. But still, I would I would definitely I like to use psychotherapy before medication. But sometimes you need medication to get out of bed because sometimes the depression is so hard that you can't even function to get. And so, how are you going to go to therapy if you can't get out of bed? So we need that little boost, right? We need that little boost to get us up and going and go to therapy. And sometimes like a like combination of uh, psychotherapy and medication could kind of, you know, get us in the straight path. And that's that's really what I would go for. Um, but but yeah, definitely um, when it comes to a chemical imbalance, it's a little more uh, trickier and it's it's more of a longer process um, to get there. And and, you know. We as clinicians, we have to be careful because 
when when people are clinically depressed, I'll, I'll tell you some of the things that happen. Like, you know, if people are clinically depressed and they're suicidal, um, they're not going to kill themselves when they're bedridden, right? So, so what happens is that when they start taking their medication, um, unfortunately, they start having the energy to go through with their suicidal ideation and they follow through on it. So as clinicians, we have to really monitor the individual that has presented suicidal ideations and, you know, once they start taking their medication because in between them being bedridden, they don't have the means to commit suicide. But once they start having the energy, their thought process hasn't caught up to, to their to, to their emotional stimuli, so therefore they still go through with the um, with the suicidal ideation, and that's one of the things that's very worrisome sometimes when when medication is prescribed. Um, but in general, uh, just to function, sometimes it is needed. So so monitoring the person is very important. Just keeping close tabs on them through resources, um, and, and you know a lot of times that is successful, thankfully. Um, but yeah, so those are the two forms of, of depression. But right now, I wanted to talk a little more about the connective tissue uh, between the individual and the and and the society around them, our families, our communities, our friends. Um, so there's this idea here that our entire worldview, our entire behavior, is based on a systemic nature of our lives. Now, what do I mean by systemic? That means that we all we all kind of um, we we all leave an impression on each other, right? Um, we're all interconnected, you know, to our environments, to our social circle, to our communities, to our interpersonal self, and it's just one big system looking for balance. Um, so in essence, we become this big old ball of influence. So we have like this like this ping pong ball influencing each other, like like we influence our family. Our, our friends influence us, we influence our friends and our family, and within that our community uh, gets influenced by all uh, by us. So just everybody leave, leaves their own little grain of influence. That's why I say it's systemic, because it's all tied up together. It's not, it's not really linear. And that, that's, that's how we process our responses to our environment. Um, uh, we are kind of reacting to our cognitive ability to process external information. And that, that's what pushes out a behavior. So as, as information is coming into our brain, we process it using the template that we had from our childhood all the way up into that moment that we're processing the information, which is called our worldview. And then that pushes out a behavior. And I'll get a little bit into that a little later on. But, uh, but we, are, we are a reaction to our social circle, to our families, to our expectations. And this is connected to how we feel about ourselves. So again, behavior is, is a response to stimuli uh, and it's a circle that is shared between communities and the self. Um, and our fundamental basis of personality comes down to how we perceive the world and how the world perceives us. So in essence, we're right here sitting and a, and a lot of our mental health uh, is, is the result of like how I fit into the world and how the world sees me in return. And this is where schemas are built. And schema is a term from something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Schemas are the maps of the world that we build so we could easily access them uh, when we have a decision to make and push out a behavior because of it. And the schemas are, are uh, the part of the brain that defines the world around us. And, and we, we usually start... Uh, building them 
at really from birth. Um, and they are kind of our roadmap to the world from a cognitive perspective. Um, and this is this is all developed from experiences and, 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 and all the, the experiences that we have growing up and uh, just navigating the world around us. So if we develop negative schemas or negative core beliefs to the world, to the way the world sees us, uh, you will see the world in a negative way. And you're going to start developing coping mechanisms to deal with, with that. And in adapting that, you're going to start developing negative coping mechanisms to cope with your views. So what does this all mean? Well, it means that if you had a bad, uh, if, like a bad childhood, it means that if you were abandoned when you were a baby, it means that if you had bad parenting, if you have negative reactions to the world around you, all that's going to build that, that. That's things that you adapt as your reality. So from that, you, your, your brain is going to start coming up with generic responses to things. So whenever, whenever that starts to affect your self-esteem in a negative way. So whenever you're going to grow up, you're going to grow up with this idea of like, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. I'm not worth it. Because that's the schemas that you have built from birth due to whatever negative stimuli was around you as a kid, as an adolescent, even as a young adult. And what happens is that they become your generic responses to things. So in essence, um, whenever you're confronted with a situation, it's just going to go automatic to your negative thought patterns because that's what you've been brought up to believe. And, and hence, you're going to create a lot of negative responses out of it. Um, so so that's, where we're at. that's where we're at right there. Um, and really the danger there is that that's where maladaptive coping mechanisms are introduced. So you develop these negative core beliefs when you were a kid, when you were an adolescent. And the reason why I keep on harping to that, to that, to that very significant period in our lives is because that's where we're developing our identity. That's where we get our sense of protection and hope from. You know, those first zero to like five years are crucial in the sense of security that we develop later on in our lives. And then as adolescents, which is incredibly important, that is that is an identity building time in our lives. And we're not allowed to build an identity for different reasons, whether it's trauma, whether it's addiction at that age or whatever the case may be. Um, you're going to be stuck. You're going to be what's called developmentally stuck. Um, and not to be confused with like learning uh, development. That's a whole different topic. Um, and, and if you want to find out the stages of development, go ahead and type in Eric Erickson and see his uh, developmental stages and you get a better, better idea of what I'm talking about. But during that time, uh, we have a lot of like attachment issues that develop because if our parents are not there for us enough or, or they're there too much where they smother us um, or they leave us, you know, there's all kinds of different attachment issues that build up. And the thing about all these negative behaviors that we develop early on um, is that they're very subconscious because we have a lot of repression that we go through so that we're able to live a functional life, right? So you, you hear a lot of people that are trauma survivors who don't even know why they're reacting negatively to their behavior except the fact that they had trauma that they completely repressed for years and it doesn't come out till later on so a lot of these are very subconscious responses and that's and that's really what makes them incredibly frustrating when we're kind of self-sabotaging our lives and we don't even know why are we are we going through these bouts of depression and we don't even know why and that's all because of a uh, undisclosed trauma um so that's the reason why i brought i, I keep on harping on this adolescent or 
early childhood because that's really a crucial time in our development and it really has it really does have an effect on, on our adult years um, but let's let's go back to to what starts to happen when we have negative core beliefs that leads to our um, negative coping skills because again we have this anxiety that we don't really really know where it's coming from but we have to cope with it we have to medicate it somehow and rather than face the issues that put us there we tend to uh, gravitate towards um, negative coping skills which is like using drugs using alcohol you know shopping sex whatever the case may be um, you know risky behavior um, and that that pacifies our anxiety without us uh, confronting what caused the anxiety in the first place and it's funny because that's like a temporary solution right um, I, I always tell people that that's you know fixing yourself up with anything other than emotionally stimulating your past and coming to terms with your past all it is you're, you're like a, your soul is like a barrel with a hole in, in the bottom you, you fill it up with shit and it just passes right out so when it's full for a little while it's okay uh, it fills you up and it's fine, but it's it's never it's never long lasting. Pretty soon you need another fix and another fix, and that's how we develop these negative patterns of behavior. Um, but so so that that's that's really what's going on right there. Um, and from there, where it gets more dangerous is that we start to um, we start to build these negative coping me mechanisms of the behavior, um, and we start putting them on our families. Then from there, we start passing them um, uh, not only from our families, but into our culture. And now our culture is being manipulated with negative patterns of behavior, followed by communities and so on and so on. And that's where you get generational negative coping mechanisms and families that are just maladaptive all throughout years and years and years. Um, and so uh, that's where... That that's that has a specific name. It's called uh, neighborhood effects, and that's where they get introduced. And I'm talking about families in poverty, drug addiction, violence, etc. And our whole philosophy is like if we can introduce one family member to adopt adaptive positive coping strategies, then we can create we can create a chain reaction and breaking the cycle of maladaptive coping strategies for an entire family, and we could bring difference to that entire family, and it could bring community resilience. Communities can thrive. And a person, it allows the person freedoms to explore their humanity and their spirit at, at its full potential. Um, now, with that said, um, we do have tons of communities that are also uh, oppressed. They, you know, they have lack of resources. Um, they're in a, they're in a continual state of survival, and privileged cultures gaslights these oppressed groups in, feel, in feeling inadequate. Right? I mean, through like double bind messaging. You know, and lack of opportunities. So it's like, you know, what is gaslighting? I mean, it's like when you fight back toxic behavior while being told that that's toxic, that's crazy making, right? It, because there's no, there's no way you could go here, you know. And and that's called, that's also called double bind messaging. And it's and it's one of the, one, one of the, I guess for lack of a better term, techniques that that uh, domestic abusers use on their significant other. It's like it doesn't matter which road you turn. You know, when you're trying to fight toxic behavior and you, you're told that's toxic, then where else do you go? But you go crazy. And that's just, you know, what happens. Um, and that's what's going on in our communities of color right now. And all of this can lead to massive communal case of depression, 
while at the same time affecting the individuals within that community. And that's something that we definitely have to work on. So this puts us in a in this state of like accepting negative core beliefs within ourselves, because when we've been brought up in an environment that's toxic, in an environment where you're told not only by your family, not only by your environment, but by the world around you in very passive ways, in very judgmental ways, um, that you're nothing, that you don't belong, you start believing that. Because again, I said earlier, we're all connected in systemic forms. So it affects us whether we want to believe it or not. And that means that our focal lenses through which we see the world are cloudy. They are flawed. It is the lenses through which we perceive the world that are dirty. We see through the we see through the lenses, but not through the lenses themselves, right? So we're not, we're, we we try to fix what we see, not how we see it, and that's the biggest problem with depression. This is why a person who is depressed cannot be made to feel better with words or with memes or whatever. I mean, you get a little you get a little glimmer of hope, but then it just slingshots back to your default set, setting of depression, because that's trying to fix how you see the world, not what you what you are using to see it which in this case is a lens of negative core beliefs. So with that said, it's very important that the, nar the narrative that we build and tell ourselves is critical in how our mental health reacts to it, you know, because we live inside our story and our story is influenced by the world around us, the expectations and learned behavior we attain from our social circle. Depression sets in when our justification no longer meets our criteria for mood stability. In other words, when when we we our story is not congruent enough to kind of uh, accept that the world around us sees us in a particular way, then we start getting depressed, um, and so this this leads to self doubt and neurotic behavior, and it's funny because I think there's there's a lot of people in this world um, that are you know very in tune. With those kind of emotions and i think when when people have you know go insane i think there's a portion of the population which which are all the artists around the world you know the great painters the great philosophers the great musicians the great filmmakers the great poets they they use that pain they use they use that existential dread as as this as this uh empowerment to make something Right. And that's why we have such beauty in art, because art is an expression of the collective negative beliefs that we all feel. And that's why we all love it. That's why art is universal, because it's something that we could all relate to. And it doesn't matter in what form it comes. You know, the beauty of art is the pain that it took the artist to actually create it. And I think there's that portion of the population copes with with their depression in that way. But unfortunately, we're not. We, we don't all have that capability. So a lot of them, a lot of us, just become very neurotic. We just become uh, very unstable, and we start engaging in risky behavior, uh, or or no behavior at all. Really, that's when we're bedridden, and and that's the portion that we have to fix because nobody should be. You know, we're all we're all such a we're all such a gift to this life, and we really all are. Every single one of you is. I mean, we all have something to offer. If nothing else, we have love to offer, no matter how, how down you might feel. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But um, so so I think one, I think one of the good coping skills to start practicing uh, when we're going through depression is to be creative, you know, to be 
to we have we we sometimes we can't even pinpoint where our depression is coming from. Well, then use it. If you start journaling, and you and you um, journal your 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 depressive mood, um, empower yourself with your negative beliefs, and then read it back to yourself, and it's going to be very soothing because it's like you're getting a, a, a third a three-dimensional perspective of your situation, and that helps a lot of people. Um, and there's a lot of ways to kind of uh, positively cope with our with our existential dread, as I call it. Um, you know, I think another thing that really affects us as human beings is that we it's it's uh, like a gift and a curse with with the way we're built as human beings. We have this mental capacity to ponder the infinite. You know, and we have this imagination to to put us in places that we want to be, but yet we're imprisoned by this shell of a body, right? Like 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 we're so limited. While at the same time, our brain is is so limitless, and that's kind of a conundrum that could lead to anxiety sometimes. You know, it's it's a fucked up conundrum to be in. Um, you know, in the moment of doubt, in the moment of depression, that is the time to rediscover and rewrite your story. Because even if the beginning of the story was not what you wanted, you are a living, you are a living being, important to our society because you, you are a resource of love and empathy if you choose to exercise those gifts that you have. Everybody there is. Everybody. There's nobody that's not. Everybody. If, if, if you could get love from, a, from an animal, from a, from a dog or a cat, um, then that means you could, you, you could get love from a human being. And... and not only do the dogs and the cats have the capacity to give love, so do you. So if all things being equal and you're in a state of dread or in a state of sadness or in a state of hopelessness, you still have that gift within you to give the love out to someone else. And that in itself is it's an innate cure for depression because it's going to make you, it's going to give you meaning, right? So, um, so even if the beginning of the story was not what you wanted, you could still start writing the rest of your story starting today. Uh, take that first foot forward, understanding that the process requires time and that your mental health did not decline in two days. It declined in years. So it would take time to improve. With each passing day, your new narrative will remind you how much control you have over your life, how much you, you have the ability to redirect your mind to gratefulness, focusing on what you have rather than what you don't have. And if you feel you don't have much, you still have a living breath to fulfill your passions. Affirm your existence by using your gifts for yourself and others. Because once you start to do these things, your life will attain meaning. Even when you feel empty, you have a shell of love and compassion. Give it to someone else. We as human beings are here to farm each other. Farm, I said. I'm sorry, I have a little bit of an accent. That's what happens when you when you don't speak English for like the first eight years of your life. So I apologize for that. Um, but yes, we are, we are here to farm each other into life. In other words, we have the ability to, to help other people grow because the fact of, of, of being alive means that you have the ability to love and to feel empathy. And it doesn't matter how you feel inside, you're always going to have that because that you're born with that. Um, so you could give it to someone else. But it's, but it's a decision that people have to make. It requires altruistic thought. You know, giving your services to someone else, um, whether... whether you know, you, you want to become an advocate for anything. You just choose something that you're passionate about. It helps you so much. I mean, again, one, one, of, one of the one of the mechanisms that de defeats um, depression is meaning. 
and you know go ahead and go go one day go go help like a like a grandma across across the street and with her bag of groceries like you see in the movies and then just come back home and just kind of chill for the rest of the day you'll feel a sense of gratitude towards the day you'll feel a sense of meaning and that, it just took you like like you know a few seconds of a minute you know to to go do that and that's because we are bred to be a social community uh, you know our ancestors our hunters our gatherers from way back in the day you know they they that's what they did they they built communities to survive and to thrive and our lizard brain still thinks like that you know so going out there and and you know being an advocate for something is going to give you this incredible sense of meaning and that's going to help you with your anxiety and with your depression because you you've contributed in a positive way to someone other than yourself so it's going to put you in that state of mind of, of gratitude which is where we all want to be um so that's a great great um coping positive coping mechanism for depression but let's just say that everything else fails right let's just say that that um you know you you just don't believe in any of the shit that i'm saying which is fine because when we're depressed we're in a certain state of mind you know like i talked earlier our lenses are cloudy it doesn't matter what i say you have to experience certain things before you start getting out of that cloud um but one of the things that i want to i want to express in this episode is that there is hope there, there there is you know if you normalize that you're in a state of process in a state of progress and you're moving forward understand that putting in the work will help you out of that state um it ain't gonna happen overnight but it is gonna happen and that and that's the thing that i want people to understand is that they are not alone in this fight this is this doesn't make you a weirdo it doesn't make you crazy it doesn't make you you know uh invalid in our society it's something that we all go through and it's something that takes time and uh, to, for us to climb out of but also it also takes work that we have to put in it also takes awareness of our triggers and our reasoning for being in that state of mind for us to be able to build barriers around that so it doesn't affect us again um and so all that said it's it's possible for us to rewrite our story and live a more functional life going forward but even then you know, there's a an existential belief that by a by a, a philosopher called Albert Camus that life is incredibly absurd, right? Because a lot of times it just doesn't make sense. A lot of times, you know, you could follow all the rules and sh uh, shit still is gonna go south for you. So at that point, you still, you know, you still have a choice. We always have choices to make in this life. And our choices have consequences, right? It's like it's like when I'm when I'm talking to people at the psychiatric hospital that I work at, you know, a lot of times I tell them when you're here in this in this hospital and you can't leave and you have a, a 5150, um, you have two choices. You're either gonna react positively to this experience or you're gonna react you're gonna react negatively to this experience. But the choice is not mine to make. The choice is yours to make. You know, you could take this three day, seventy two hour hold in the hospital. And you could see it as a way to uh, be free of distractions and start thinking of ways for you not to end up back there. Because it was the choices that you made, whether you want to believe it or not, that put you in that situation. And we could trace it all back and prove that. Um, now here you are in this situation, so you have another choice. And what's it going to be? Are you going to be negative about it and stay in your situation and not grow and not evolve? Or are you going to be positive about it and, and, and move forward and never come back? 
it's the same thing with people that are out there in their everyday life. It's like if, if you feel like life has no meaning, guess what? Here's the most beautiful thing about that. You have the power to give your life meaning. All right. If, if you don't have a, belief, a, a, a religious belief system, you have the power to create your own meaning. And if we're upset because life is, is, is absurd, life doesn't make sense, life is, you know, a comedy of errors, then revolt against that. You know, be the rebel that you that, that you could be and wake up every day and say, OK, life, if you're going to be absurd against me, then here's me being absurd against you. I'm going to make the best of it because I'm going to define my life. And it doesn't matter what kind of expectations you have of me. It doesn't matter what kind of, of struggles you want to throw my way. I'm here to draw a line in the sand and define my life and be genuine to myself. And with every winning moment, I'm going to take the power back that I thought I never had. And that's how you defeat life. Because that's the, that's the philosophy that I use. You know, I have existential thoughts. Um, I, don't have, I don't have religious beliefs. Um, and... It could be very dark when you don't have religious beliefs because the reason why religion, you know, I guess, I mean, this is my belief. And, you know, this is it. This is nobody else's belief but my own. But religion was was created for a coping mechanism. It allows us to have to deal with these with these like thoughts of emptiness, with these thoughts of like nothingness. So religion was created for that. And that's fine because I respect that. I would never I would never belittle anybody who's a christian or or who's a muslim or anything like that or a catholic because that is their positive coping mechanism like who am i to come down on them for that right it doesn't make any sense it's very egotistical on my part if i try to spew my belief system on somebody who who has strong faith i would never do that because that's what they use to to cope and the studies have shown that when people have a religious belief they live more they, they they live with less anxiety than somebody that doesn't you know i on the other hand have existential philosophy as my belief system in other words i i i have this uh, idea that we're born without meaning and we create our own meaning and thus i'm going to make sure that i live the life that i want to live with the with the with the norms that i want to establish for myself and anybody that knows me knows that i've done that i mean i'm not just talking out of my ass here like i've literally done that um, and I've and I I'm pretty well balanced because of it. So uh, you know, you start doing those little things in your life, and you will attain meaning. You know, and and that's and that's where we want to focus on, um, because at the end of the day, this is your life, and you should be able to give you the meaning that you want, free of social expectations. Because social expectations, which create a ton of anxiety in us, by the way, which I'll get into in the anxiety episode. Social expectations were created for the survival purposes of a culture, not for you. And nowadays in the world we live in, a lot of these social expectations are like very archaic and outdated anyway. But, uh, but just be aware of your learned fears and anxieties because your fears, they were learned. And that's something that you got to understand. They were learned through your upbringing. It is not an innate fear and thus, you, and thus it can be eliminated. Whatever whatever is causing you distress... Whether it's not being married at a particular time, not owning a home at a particular time, not being where you have to be, which is incredibly debilitating, and and it's a narrative that you should never write. I mean, timelines in life are the worst thing. They're they're a recipe for depression and anxiety, and nobody should be really writing them because it's gonna create, uh, it's gonna put you in a state of of, of defensiveness 
towards your life, towards towards every day, because you have a deadline, and that's nobody should have any deadline in their life because we're all we're all different. We're, we we all were brought up in a different way. We all have different. We've all had different breaks in life. Why would I compare myself to my neighbor when I don't know what what kind of breaks they've had in life? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I know where I've been. So, and we're all unique. We're all unique. I'm sorry. We're we're, we're like a like a fingerprint. Like it's like there's nobody like us. Every single one of us. So why would I compare myself to another fingerprint that's like not that's not like me? It doesn't make any sense. You know, we're all in a different journey, and people have had different benefits, different resources on their journey. It's not fair for you to compare yourself to them, just like it's not fair for me to compare myself to you, because. We've all had different setbacks and at different times. So, but but society trains us to be in this train of competition, right? That that that's what they that's what everybody wants. We have to be in constant competition to each other to see who could attain that brass ring. And that brass ring is full of like you know depression, anxiety, and cancer, and high blood pressure, and and all these negative things that that are a result of us being in constant. Uh, fight or flight mode because of that anxiety of competition. Well, it's time that you build your own life and it's time that you take your own step forward and, and be free of these expectations because they're not for you. These expectations are there for culture. They're there for the environment and you're allowed to write your own narrative going forward. Um, and with that said, um, let's talk a little bit about how we've been trained to uh, uh, kind of react to the world around us. So with, with something called cognitive behavioral therapy, again, going back to that, um, the basis of that is that our thoughts, emotions, and behavior are all connected, right? So if you're being manipulated by your social expectations, whenever you have a thought coming in, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create an emotion, and then it's going to push out a behavior. So if you see if you see your 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 next door neighbor whom you went to high school with and they're gonna get married and you're both thirty and you're seeing the train pass you by quote unquote that's a thought that's gonna come into your head and from that thought uh, it's gonna be filtered to your negative core beliefs that I talked about earlier that those negative core beliefs are gonna create an automatic emotion which is gonna be a negative emotion which is gonna push out a negative behavior which is probably gonna be uh, I don't know, you're going to be depressed, you're also going to start drinking, you're going to start shopping, uh, you know, convulsively, you're going to start doing anything that, that takes you away from the thought of that egocentric thought that you have of like, why am I not married when that, when my next door date neighbor, whom I grew up with, whom we're the same age, which is 30, which is not pretty, because I should be married, why, why is she getting married and not me? We have to learn to redirect those thoughts, we have to learn to challenge those thoughts, because those thoughts are not reality. Our thoughts are not reality. Our thoughts are painting our narrative in, in, conjunction, in conjunction with our negative core beliefs. So they're being filtered through these negativity lenses that, that, that are there from our childhood and our adolescence. So one way to challenge that thought is like, okay, well, my neighbor was in this situation while well, I was attending to this situation. That's why she was able to find a partner. You know, we don't even know if that partner is right for her. You know, we don't even know what the neighbor's emotional situation is. For all we know, she doesn't want to get married, right? So there's all kinds of variables that are part of reality that we don't pay attention to because our own negative thoughts are conjuring up this story that's false in our own head. But here's where the problem lies. 
then we start reacting from that imaginary uh, story that we told in our head. We start behaving in the real world based on that story, and that's when we get in trouble. That's when risky behavior comes into play, and that's the kind of stuff that we gotta stop doing. So when we, when when we have emotion, when we have thoughts coming into our head, we have to try to challenge them. But for that, you have to be aware of your triggers, of your insecurities. Once you challenge them, you 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 don't allow them to become negative emotions, and thus you won't push out a negative um, a negative behavior. And same thing goes with depression. You know, you have to go out there and put in the work. You have to go out there. You know, I, I would really recommend journaling. Like like you know, whenever you get triggered and you have a, a depressive episode, journal how you felt before, during, and after that episode and what and what triggered it so that you could start building interventions for those kind of triggers and you could start putting yourself in a better mood um, and also just being mindful of the moment you know there is no past there is no future there is the right now and the right now is what you could control and 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 also you could only control what you could control you can't control everybody else you can't control your neighbor. You can't control your family. You can only control how you're going to react to them. And it should be in a, in a very mindful and positive way. Not positive in that you're going to accept them. Positive in that you're not going to drain yourself of that energy. Right? So um, so those are some, some, some strategies there. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, we're going to um, more stuff like... Um, Oh, well, we'll go into a couple more stuff now that I now that I think about it. Okay, so I'll talk a little bit about the uh, what's known as the PERMA model, which was um, uh, it was developed by a gentleman by the name of Martin Seligman, um, one of the founders of positive psychology, and this model allows you to kind of like work towards fulfillment, happiness, and meaning. And really, those are the three core factors of li- living a positive, uh, depression-free life. Um, and especially meaning is incredibly important. But let's let's talk a little bit about what the PERMA model is. You know, it starts with a P for positive emotion. Um, you know, that focus it puts focus on your positive emotions um, and your ability to remain optimistic. See, at the end of the day, a lot of like thought challenging and, and, and getting over negative thoughts, we have to hack our own minds. And that's just the reality of it. I mean, you know, it has you have to go in with a positive outlook. Um, and you have to remove, like I talked earlier, you have to remove your, your cloudy lenses and put in new lenses to attain a new perspective. And anything other than that was probably going to keep you in a state of negative thought. Um, you have to view your past, present, and, fu- and future from a constructive perspective. You know, I mean, we can't, we can't stay in the past because the past already passed. We have to focus on what's ahead of us. And that, I know that sounds cliche, but it's the truth. And I understand that. You know, especially for trauma survivors, that's incredibly difficult. And I empathize. And I know that when when we're victims of trauma, whether it's sexual abuse or violence or whatever the case may be, um, we tend to carry that trauma with us, you know, um, when, especially when there's an injustice done. Um, and I always tell my patients that, you know, it's okay to live with the trauma because it becomes ingrained in us. It, it actually 
kind of gives us a lot of tools for survival, but what we cannot allow it to do is define us because at that point we're going to be feeding into the trauma. So I always kind of say that people are carrying trauma by the hand. Well, don't carry it by the hand. If you have to live with your trauma, if you must live with your trauma, because again, I would never tell anybody to get over anything. It's not fair to them. I would never ever do that. And, and please don't ever tell anybody that they should get over anything because it's not your right to do so. It's their struggle, not yours. And it's their pain, not yours. But what I will say is to uh, have your trauma there with you, but leave a little room for living your life. You know, again, have it by the, if you if you're holding it onto you with your hand and you're trying to walk through with your trauma for all these years and it's holding you back, release it and it'll go right next to you. And if you could live with it right next to you, then you're going to be OK because you're no longer holding on to it, but you're not releasing it either. And that's because, again, it's very difficult to do. Right. So um, so please do that. Uh, it's going to it's going to take you a long way. Um, you have to. So peace for positive emotion you should go into anything with a positive view, um, and you should be able to inspire others to create and take more chances um, and understand that life itself is going to have up and downs. That is, that is being a human being. That is being an emotionally stimulated human being. Life is full of ups and downs. That's not what we're looking to improve. What we're looking to improve is how you're going to react to the times when life is in a downswing. That's really what matters. It's not about eliminating the downswings because that's impossible. The only time you're going to eliminate that is when you're no longer around. Life is about coping with the downswings. And the more you cope with those downswings, the sweeter the, high, the, the highs of your life are going to feel. Trust me on that. And so the idea is to put your default setting at a, at a state of, of constant contentment, not pure happiness, because that's euphoric. That's also, I, I would have to question your mental health for anybody that's always in a euphoric state of mind. That is a usual behavior. That is abnormal behavior. What I want is this even keel of mood regulation. What I want is this uh, stability, right? So our, our default setting should always be at a good little even keel. And when we go low, we come back to that even keel. And when we go high, when we get euphoric, we come back down to that even keel. And that even keel is lived in a positive manner. It's not lived in fear. It's not lived in self-doubt. It's lived in a positive, objectable manner to where you're gonna you're ready for the lows and you're also ready for the beautiful highs because that's what life is. And that's what positive emotion means. I mean, that, that's where you're going to be and that's a good way to get started. Um, so another thing is engagement. So one of the things to me is that we need hobbies, right? We need we need things that we enjoy. I mean, even even if it's lowbrow or or if it's something trivial, if it's not trivial to you, then go for it. You know, whether it's you know, playing an instrument, playing a sport, dancing, you know, working on a project, traveling, uh, writing, whatever the case may be. I surround myself with tons of hobbies. Some of them are, are cool. Some of them are kind of nerdy, but they're hobbies nonetheless because they allow me to disconnect and just feed into that inner child that we all have, you know, and just allow time to flow um, and just blissfully immerse myself into a task or an activity, you know, 
thankfully my job right now my my job at the hospital kind of is kind of like this you know i get to engage with clients and we get to talk about stuff and we get to use interventions and you know we get to i get to feel like i positively contributed to somebody's life um but even even when i'm at home you know i love playing my instruments i love watching my movies you know i love writing i love i really love listening to music and then i also have my friends who i love dearly and also have my family who i love dearly so there's there's this sense of kinship within my entire personality that really helps me in in moments of doubt and that brings us to r for relationships you know relationships and social connections are crucial to meaningful lives you know um it it just bothers me that this this weird western civilization has this competition that i brought up earlier about how we're supposed to all be individuals and we're supposed to all go for this golden carrot and it's like we should empower each other we should be there for each other we're a community we see each other every day you know um we're social animals who are like we're I said earlier, we're hardwired to bond and depend on other human beings. So we need healthy relationships. Nobody could do the, could do it by themselves. Nobody could go through life by themselves, you know. So that, so so these people that go on social media and like I don't need nobody, this that other thing, I, that reeks of insecurity. That reeks of help. That reeks of please somebody come and get me because I'm drowning. And because at the end of the day, I don't care what anybody says. We are social creatures and we need each other to survive. And we need to empower each other to survive, and that's how it's always gonna be. So fuck this Western culture civilization where it says you're supposed to attain this gold brownie by yourself and and, and step on everybody else on the way there. It's very egocentric. It's very selfish, and it, it's it's very empty. It's really what it is too. So when you do get there and get your little golden brownie, enjoy it by yourself. It's gonna taste like shit anyway. Um, but we have to thrive on these connections that promote love, intimacy, and a strong emotional and physical interaction with other human beings. You know, positive relationship with our parents, siblings, peers, coworkers, and friends is the key ingredient to overall joy. So we need these strong relationships to support us and to give us some resilience in difficult times. So um, that's another one right there. What about meaning? That's one of the most important ones. You know, uh, having, I said earlier, if you have your religion, that's great. If you have spirituality like I do, that's also great. Um, you know, we, we could work for that. We could, we could you know, raise children, uh, uh, volunteer for a greater cause, express ourselves creatively. Like all these things give us meaning, right? Victor Franklo, who wrote uh, Life Search for Meaning, said that anytime you have a reason to get out of bed, you have meaning. And that's the thing that we need in our lives, because if you have no, no reason to get out of bed, then why the fuck get out of bed, right? I mean, we're going to be depressed, so we need to have meaning in our lives, and we need to, to just thrive on that meaning and, and, and build a foundation on it. Um, and, you know, the, the, the problem with that is that, again, going back to our Western culture, you know, it, it promotes this weird material wealth, you know, impacting many people to feel like money is the gateway to happiness. You know, I've sp I, I've treated patients who have a million dollars in the bank and they're miserable because that doesn't that doesn't treat their internal struggles. You know that that matter of fact, the, the research says that if you make over it used to be fifty thousand dollars, but now it's like seventy thousand dollars. Once you make seventy thousand dollars, money has no effect on your happiness at that point. So, you know, that money is not the root 
of happiness. Now, money does help you when you're when you're on the streets, when you can't eat, when you, because it's a basic need. We have to go through our basic needs before we go attain any happiness. Um, the hierarchy of needs told us that. So, yeah, you do need a roof over your head. You need clothes. You need food. But once you take care of that in a consistent basis, money no longer plays an issue in your happiness. So, you know that that is definitely not something that that I I focus on. Although you know, it is appreciated. Um, but so so that so that's meaning right there. Now we tend now we go to the last one, which is accomplishments. So having goals and ambition in life can help us to achieve things that can give us a sense of accomplishment, right? You should make realistic goals that can be met and just putting in the effort to achieving those goals can already give you a sense of satisfaction when you finally achieve those goals. So in other words, it's not it's, it's not the journey. It's I mean, it's not it's not the final destination. It's the journey that gives us our, our excitement, everything. Like, like, for example, any goal that you've ever achieved, sometimes when you get to the end, it could be a little anticlimactic, right? Because that's it. It's over. But think about your all your adventures while you were on your journey, whether it's, um, you know, uh, your relationship and 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 what it took you what it the, the road that it took for you to get married, or what or when you were trying to attain your college degree. Um, you know, yeah, that day is beautiful when you graduate. It's beautiful when you get your degree. It's beautiful. But the real meat of the accomplishment comes in the memories of your journey to that. So that's the thing I like about having goals is that the goal is, is cool and all, but the journey is where really where it's at and really where you uh, attain all your beautiful memories and a lot of beautiful friendships and accomplishments within the, the search for the bigger accomplishment. And so that's really why I like having goals. So um, anyway, so that's PERMA, which is an acronym for positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning and accomplishments and the theory behind that is that if you follow your life path and implement these five things then you're organically gonna have some sort of a satisfaction in your life so um all right so i think that's pretty much it for this episode here i mean if you guys have uh, any questions um i am on instagram um dead boy lost in la i think that's that's my instagram handle uh, so dead boy lost in LA on Instagram. If you guys want to reach out to me there, um, I will start a Twitter soon enough just for this show, just because I think that's needed nowadays. But anyways, that's pretty much it on the next episode. We'll talk anxiety, which is the second one that the second choice that I gave in the, uh, in the little survey that I did on Instagram. And then I will, I will choose other topics and we'll be more, we'll be getting more specific. Like we'll talk about a lot of like social media and the negatives and positives of it, you know, we'll talk a lot about like career counseling and how do I find the right career. We'll talk a lot, a lot about like how mental illness is connected to physical well-being. So all that stuff we'll talk about it amongst other uh, topics. Um, but until then, thank you for listening. Uh, be nice to everyone and do something unexpected for someone and see how uh, how good it feels. Have a good night, everybody.